Hi everyone and welcome to Philosophy Rekindled with our focus book, the 1920 published version of Tertium Organum by P. D. Spensky. Today we are discussing Chapter 11 and we will be covering this chapter in two parts over separate podcasts. This is Part 2. You will find the audio version of this chapter as an additional audio to this podcast and you'll also find additional information on our website, philosophyrekindled.com. Today my guest is Peter Lancet hypnotherapist, author and classic scholar. And I'm Alice Flanagan, fiction author, computer programmer and podcaster. Thanks so much for joining us and welcome Pete. So here's where we left off. Aspinsky was quoting Umov and the speech he gave at the Mendelevsky Convention. And we have covered most of that speech but we're just at the tail end. So just a little recap from the end of the first part of the podcast and we'll continue on. If the Earth had... A beginning if it was like a beginning just like that from the perspective of the earth that beginning that event where the earth came into being is, is, is long gone it's gone but from the point of view of the cinematograph of time it still exists it's still there yeah you just got to pull out that reel and you could see yep. it yep absolutely we don't know how to pull out that reel, you know, from in the terms of physics and, and mechanics at the moment, but there are other methods of doing it, which this book will take us into. And that's the thing. And, and I think this is where, this is, this is his leverage. He's now bringing in how uh, Umov quoted Minkowski and his, his example where he's continuing on with this concept of uh, time being another measurement. And he's saying, um, just as just as your point there, he said, the beginning of life on Earth, for example, has not disappeared, it still exists. It is not outlived by the universe, but only by the Earth, which was your, your point you just made. The place of this event is defined by a certain point in the four-dimensional universe, and this point existed, is existing, and will exist, dot, dot, dot. Time does not flow any more than space flows. It is we who are flowing. Wanderers in a four-dimensional universe, time is just the same measurement of space as is length, breadth and height. Having changed them in the expression of some law of nature, we are returning to the identical law. This was Minkowski's uh, mathematical, well he's saying he backs this up with a mathematical theory. It's exactly what you said, that a point in time doesn't disappear, it's just in relation to where, we're, where our, our vantage point is. So mm-hmm. if we're the universe, the beginning of time for Earth is still there. It's like it's it's like uh, standing on the mountain and looking down in the valley. You can see everything all at the same time. But from the point of view of the standing on Earth, it, it's in the past. So I think that's a very interesting point that he's saying that time is is of a fourth dimension, but it's it's just it's just a measurement of space, just like length, breadth, and height. Mm-hmm. Which it is and. Um... That, that's great. Where, where does that get us as human beings? Great. Accept that. I, I, I understand the metaphor of the, the role of film. I understand how objects are, we can't be certain of their geographic form or of their um, scale and measurements um, when they're moving in relation to us. Fine. That's great. Um, I do manage to live. When the Frisbee's coming towards me, Believe me, I don't think that I'm going to catch an object the size of a penny. I know that when it arrives, it's going to be that big and I'll have to reach for it in a particular way. Um, so, yeah, we can, we can, we actually don't get confused by this terribly often. 
sometimes maybe, but not terribly often, for the things that occupy our everyday lives, we make the adjustment. Our, our minds, our brains, whatever the heck it is, makes the adjustment necessary for us to function with this change. We know, we know that the train coming towards us is not the size of a toy, and if we don't get off the track, it's going to smash us to smithereens. <laughs> we, we, we work this out without having to experience the death. <laughs> we, we, yes. we, we're quite well aware that it, that it, might, it looks like a dot in the distance, but, you know, uh, it ain't a dot. And when it arrives at us, uh, it's going to be its full size and it's going to smash us if we don't get off the track. Pretty easy. So, OK, we, we can work with that. Where do we go? Where does this take so, us? Where, where Spinsky is now drawing from Miss Minkowski's work, the work we just read, is, and this is, this is, an interest, this is another example of where he just throws something in that has not been prefaced before and doesn't get prefaced after. He says, The contrast between the vacuum and the material world sounds almost naive, after the just-quoted words of Minkowski, concerning the necessity of a transfer of attention on the part of science from purely physical problems to questions of consciousness. So he's drawing the bow that says, science is looking at, well, and and this is the bit we didn't really talk about, but uh, Umoff had said in his address that, look, you know, the the amount of material matter in the world is very small compared to the vacuum, and he quotes quotes from... um, Minkowski? No? No, 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 no. Lord Kelvin? Yes. And he quotes Lord Kelvin and his calculation of how much matter compared to the vacuum there is. And it basically he says, well, at the end of the day, there's such a small amount of matter compared to the vacuum. We, we, are, we are focusing on the, what matter is, this world, this earth, and physics is focusing on that. And the vacuum is the big unknown. And really, this, this point of Minkowski's where he says that time is just another measurement and that that is the be all and end all of of our of our physics. He's saying that why are we focusing on that when we should be focusing on the problems of questions of consciousness, and that just comes out of nowhere. Do, would you agree with me there, Pete? That 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 sentence says um, on the part of science from purely physical problems to questions of consciousness, and I think he's drawing the link to say that this time being in the fourth dimension is showing us different views depending on where our standpoint is yeah i do agree with that but i you know and this is where i have a problem with this this book as a whole um given that it's so rooted in science uh, and he would be well aware you're not going to get this i mean people who are interested in exploring consciousness you will not be able to get a measurement you will not from consciousness you just will not Mm -hmm. There is, there is no blackboard full of obscure squiggles that will then describe a model of consciousness. There isn't one. There won't be one. And he would have known that. And, and to me, um, and th- this is where I, I get a, a, a bit tetchy, a bit tetchy, a lot tetchy, with Uspensky is, I don't need your mathematical model. Go and have your experience. Mathematics doesn't back it up. For people, and for people, and for people who are not interested in mathematics, and I've got to tell you, I'm one of them, couldn't care less. It's, it, life, my life is going to be too short for me to waste it on that nonsense. Um, for people who are not, and I, I'm in the majority here, not the minority, the vast majority, don't care. I just don't care that you, a mathematician, Spensky, 
needs to back up the fact that you are now going to investigate things that some of us in in our teenage years start looking to investigate for ourselves without the need for science and mathematics. We already know because of the people who've gone before us for thousands and thousands of thousands of years, whichever path we take, that mathematics isn't going to be playing a part in this at all. And we don't need mathematics to describe it. So that's where I have an issue. I mean, we still, we're still here talking about people, you know, Lord Kelvin, Minkowski, Umoff, and so on. Einstein, because of relativity. There are many others who are working in that field. And is that serving us? I don't think it is. Well, I, I'm, I'm with you there. I think it's serving, it's serving Aspensky in this chapter to give him street cred, and that is it. Mm, but, you know, we're, we're discu- we are discussing a book. We're discussing a whole book, chapter by chapter. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm 100% with I'm you. Not, I, mathematics means nothing to me, because I don't yeah. care. Look, and I'm not the one doing all this, this <laughs> experimentation. I, I'm I, not I, either. I'm, I'm taking other ways, but the, 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 uh, well, I, I have, I have different paths, shall I say. But, uh, but, but interestingly enough, I think Aspensky is so wed to keeping his professional status amongst his peers. And, and we discussed this last time that, you know, yes, it would have been a big thing to be ridiculed or to, to be seen as left, you know, leaving the fold and going into this, you know, weird and wonderful world of the occult and the mysticism and and whatever. So he's trying to ground it and say, no, no, look, it's a logical thing. And and he's throwing things into this chapter, as we already discussed earlier, where he had that, that link to alchemy and, and the Kabbalah. And now I think this next little bit is him doing it again. So he he's, he's saying, look, you know, science is looking at the, the universe in terms of duality matter and the vacuum and we don't know much about the vacuum but we can certainly measure and do a lot of things with matter and we've got all these different theories and the the thing that's tying it all together is the um, theory of relativity so we're kind of moving in this direction but then he says truly the new this uh, quote truly the new physics will be that in which there is no motion i.e there is no dualism of rest and motion nor any dualism of matter and vacuum so in other words we're throwing out the what we know and what we don't know this this is the bit that i think what the what is going on here Understanding the universe as thought and consciousness, we completely divorce ourselves from the idea of a vacuum, and from this standpoint is explained the small probability of matter to which Professor Umoff referred. Matter, i.e. everything finite, is an illusion in the infinite world. So what I think he's saying here is that there is no vacuum, there is no matter. Matter is just uh, the way our consciousness perceives things. And I, I wonder if... Do you remember in chapter uh, chapter eight? No, chapter nine. We talked about the example of the television and how the television you turn it on and it picks up the the signals and then translates them into the into the TV show. And so you need a receiver to get that to to you know to to pull in those waves. Is he saying that? The universe is is uh, full of things that we we can't see in a three dimensional world because that is an illusion created by a consciousness. But thought and consciousness are that antenna. Maybe maybe he is, but then why not just say it? Well, exactly so. 
um, because he just seems to throw this this paragraph in, and I think it's it's a paragraph that is uh, well, it's a very bold statement to say because you've you've said nothing of thought and consciousness all the way up to here. You've been talking about science and all its different theories and how all these noted people have said all these things, and then he throws in this understanding the universe as thought and consciousness. Where, where's he built that from? Well, we don't have to understand the universe as thought and consciousness. Why would you do that? So what is he saying? I have no idea. I have absolutely no idea. I know what follows, and from this standpoint he's explained the small probability of matter to which Umoff referred. Matter, everything finite, is an illusion in the infinite world. Well, you know... Why is it improbable? I, I don't understand why it's improbable. Just because it appears in small quantities relative to the rest of the universe, because most of it is space in between, the, the vacuum, as he calls it, doesn't make it improbable, does it, necessarily? Yeah, well, he's calling it improbable as opposed to impossible, but... I, I... I know, oh, I understand that, but I, I don't understand why it's even improbable. I, on, on what foundation do you make a statement like that? Well, even the statement, everything finite is an illusion in an infinite world. What does that mean? Well, that doesn't actually explain anything. Yeah, it's left me guessing. And then, and then, and then he refers you to Einstein. He says, like, you know, oh, I, I'm not explaining this very well. Go and have a look at Einstein. Well, let me tell you, that tells you who the audience that this book was intended for is. And it's not us. Uh, see, people think they know everything. They know, they've heard the term dark, dark matter a lot of people, and they think it's real. <laughs> Good luck with that. Um, they've heard black hole. They think it's real. Even Stephen Hawking says, look, it was just a, a posit because we'd got a gap in the theory, um, and so on and so forth. I've been through this before. Um, when he refers you to Einstein, everybody thinks they know, oh, relativity. They've heard that word, and they think they know something. And then you get the ones that know E equals MC squared, and then I say, okay, well, what does the E stand for? What does the M stand for? And why is it important that um, M has to be squared? Well, why? Where does that come from? Uh, oh, okay. Well, you now got to start reading the whole damn thing. Um, most people won't get past a couple, a couple of lines of it. Um, I don't understand. You know, when he says, you know, he, he, he says that everything finite is an illusion in an infinite world and, and that in the book my book, anyway, has an asterisk by it. And then there's a footnote. Oh, does it? The, Mine doesn't. Yeah, well, the footnote says, the works on relativity by Dr. A. Einstein. You could have just said Einstein. We all know who it is. The works on relativity by Dr. A. Einstein make possible a more thorough acquaintance with the scientific, bracket, physical, close bracket, treatment of this subject. Well, that tells you who his audience is, his intended audience is. And it's not us. It's not the man in the street. He would have known. I don't have that. I don't have that. I don't have that asterisk or that little footnote in in the nineteen okay. twenty translation. So that's that's interesting. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. There's no way I'm going to be reading Einstein's theory of relativity to understand that paragraph. I'd like that paragraph to make sense. Yeah. Well, um, it doesn't to me. No, it doesn't to me either. And well, I, I guess. That in, in in an in an infinite world, how could an infinite world um, consist of finite objects? For the for that world for a world to be infinite, he's a, he's making he's making us understand 
or trying to make us understand that all of the component parts of an infinite world would by necessity have to be infinite themselves otherwise part of the, the infinite world would be finite which means that the infinite world would i'm afraid be finite then that makes a little more sense because i think then then what he's saying is it's our con- as he said all the way up to this it's our consciousness that interprets the world around us and uh pulls it into this finite form. So I think that's possibly what he's saying. It's If we look at it as we've got consciousness. Now, the thought, I'm not sure where that fits in, other than maybe he's thinking that that's uh, our thoughts are the things that help us to put the antenna up to pull something in. I, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm at sea with that one. But maybe that's what he's saying. If it was all about consciousness, it was all about how we, we take the infinite and make it finite by interpretation only. It doesn't mean that it really is finite. That's an illusion. But but our consciousness makes it so that we can function in this three-dimensional world. Now, I'm, I'm just I'm just having a wild stab in the dark there because that's what I'm thinking he's saying from what you just said. I'm not even interested in the his mention of thought and consciousness because unless you can define what what he means by it, not what you think you mean by it, um, we're in all kinds of trouble here. And I don't know that there's been anything that suggests that we have a clue about what he means by consciousness when that word is used in this book so far. I really well, don't. Well, it hasn't been defined, has it? Oh, and worse yet, it's used in terms of mathematics. It's it's always used when we're within this framework of mathematical cosmology. Um, mm-hmm. To me, I have experiences. If the if 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 everything, I mean, how do we know that everything is infinite? That that what we are is an illusion within infinity. And surely, because the illusion can be measured, that in itself would make the infinite finite it's that same thing about quantum physics the the observer collapses it into a uh, a format that it isn't mm. until mm. You i agree it. you know so so that's where you know to me um focusing on this idea that he's bringing in thought and consciousness i don't think you can remove yourself from the idea that he still wants a mathematical model here he wants to bring what he is calling consciousness now if you were to go to India and you go to some ashram and you see some very thin, old-looking guy with a grey beard who's a guru, meditating for days on end and not eating, not drinking, barely breathing and so on, and you think, okay, well, he's in an altered state of consciousness now, does that ring any bells with what Uspensky is talking about here? Do you think? Do you, do you feel that when he uses the word consciousness, he's talking about the same thing? Because I don't. Well, I I don't think so. I, I from what I've got so far, I wouldn't even say it's related to mathematics. I, I think consciousness is from what Spensky said so far is really a um, it's how good your interpreting tool is of that's perception. That's perception. Aha, that's perception, not consciousness. What, is he, what does he mean by this word and where does it fit in? I mean, perception and consciousness are not the same thing by any dictionary definition. So, I, so if he's using it in a different sense, then he's going to have to tell us. We could be here. You could waste your entire, you know, you could waste weeks and weeks and weeks analyzing a book um, based on what you think he means by it and then find out that it's not, that's not helping you with your life whatsoever. 
So he starts right at the beginning and he says there's the world and consciousness, doesn't he? Yeah, it doesn't help you, does it? Sort of like a, it's, well, yes, it, it has not been nailed down. You're right, it has not been nailed down. No, I mean, I, look, you know, I'm not going through my usual let's dig at Uspensky, but let's, you know, we are here analysing um, a work and it it makes it very, very difficult. I, I get a feeling, and I may or may not be wrong, that you desperately want to be talking about the consciousness thing and, and, and what have you. You can't do it. Uh, you can't take it out of this frame. And in this chapter, we're not out of that frame. We're in that no, frame of reference. You know, at some point, at some point, probably we will. And he does, very interestingly, on on the next page, start coming into very interesting stuff. But he, he does throw stuff in there. Understanding the universe as thought and consciousness, we completely divorce ourselves from the idea of a vacuum. Um who understands the universe as thought and consciousness? Because what do you mean by that? I, I, I have absolutely no idea. Who's, who is it that's out there um, understanding the universe as thought and consciousness? I have no idea. Well, I'm with you. I, I looked at so that. So that's, that's where I have a problem. That's where I have a problem. And, and then he says, from this standpoint is explained the small probability of matter to which Umoff referred. Well, you know... I don't think it does explain it. I don't feel I don't feel explained to. No, I don't either. I honestly looked at that and said, "Well, what do you mean?" Because to me, the small probability of matter is just that—a small probability of matter. That's a mathematical concept. The probability is either great or small. Because what he's got here is um, matter. Everything finite is an illusion in an infinite world. Well, the illusion itself. <laughs> is not infinite. The illusion is finite. So that make that means that the infinite world cannot exist. Yeah. Well. So by by his by by his uh, description. So so we're in trouble here. In the in this sense, you and me are at any rate because we're, <laughs> we're struggling. We're, well, um, we're struggling here because to me, he's trying to make some point, but he's but again. He's, he's talked, it's like, look over here, and then he's thrown something in. And I wonder if it's something, that your your subliminal connection that you made earlier. Well, I, you know, that I, I wonder, to... but the fact is, I don't know where that, that goes. I don't see where that takes you. I don't see what that stimulates inside us. Personally, I'm, I mean, just from my point of view, I don't want to discuss explorations into further realms of experience changes of consciousness, shifting states of consciousness, shamanic journeying, shamanic experience, um, Eastern um, mysticism and so on. I don't want to, I don't even want to think of exploring that in terms of the mathematical model of the world we live in. I'm quite prepared to accept that the 3D world that I'm having this 3D experience in is an illusion. That's fine. And I'll enjoy it as it is. Show me the classical physics model using calculus and show me measurements and so on. And and I do find it a fun fact to understand that, yes, things do appear to be changing shape and getting bigger as they come towards us in time. I find that a fun fact. Um, great. You know, I, I live with that. I, like I said, I know how to catch a Frisbee. I do expect that it's going to get bigger as it comes towards me. Um, but, but... Ex um, exploring other other realms of, of experience, I don't need I don't need this mathematical frame, and I don't need to relate 
an ex an, an other experience another another exploration and experience um to to this framework i just don't need to do it and i don't understand why we are in my book 133 pages in still still flogging that dead horse because all we do is all we end up with is the odd phrase here and there that that becomes incomprehensible. Well, let's move on from that. Yeah, yeah, let's let's no yeah, because because we can, yeah because we can't define that, and we're not mm-hmm. going to at this point, are we? So so let's get on to this four-dimensional shapes by Van Manen. Is that is that the next bit? Where's the bit that you're? Yeah, yeah, that's where we are. That's what you know. The author saw by means of his inner vision, which I've underlined a million times. That's altered state of consciousness experience. This is the, this is what we do. This is trance work. This is shamanic work. This is mysticism. Whichever, whichever, te- whichever technique and whichever path um, Johann von Manen was following. And Spensky's brought him in. Yep. I, 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 he's brought him in um, to. Well, it's interestingly enough, he's brought him in to say, you know, he saw these these four dimensional shapes, and he's he's got a picture of what the four dimensional sphere might look like. But but Aspensky himself then says, well, you know, we'll just leave it to those people who've experienced this to say whether it's right or not because... So I, I looked at it and thought, well, he's he's bringing it all in. He does this great dissertation on it and then he goes, yeah, but, you know, it is what it is and I don't get it and so if you've experienced it all well and good. So what is the point of this part? So basically um, Von Manen had this experience and he was, sh- you know, the, the vision came to him that he then drew... And it's a, it's a circle that seems to be surrounded by horns that if anybody wants to Google this, they can look at the headdress of Isis and other Egyptian deities and they will see the same thing. You'll see it in other parts of the world as well. This um, circle um, that seems to be held in the horns of a bull, you know, the bull cults of Mithras and on the the island of Crete as well, you know, where the labyrinth was and so on. The labyrinth is another um, symbol that we should talk about at some other point. But um, this is really interesting now because obviously way after Ispensky's time, um, there was a lot of research done by a guy who wrote a book that you'll find it very difficult to get now. I'm going to put my tinfoil hat on and say that this book is being suppressed. And it's called The Saturn Myth. You can actually find it in PDF form on the internet and download it if you if you search it a little bit for it, and it's an amazing piece of work. It's it's very similar uh, to the work done by Emmanuel Velikovsky as well, and in fact, Velikovsky's work would be integrated with this if you integrate Velikovsky's Worlds in Collision and Ages in Chaos and so on, and and all of his other works. Then you will find this symbol. You will find this symbol that he had the image of. So what has been going on? Velikovsky would say that this actually represents a physical event that's that's suppressed in the history of the world. But And there's a good reason to believe him as well. Let's put it this way. Um, our good friend, Dr. A. Einstein, was a very close friend and associate at Princeton University with Emmanuel Velikovsky. And he was in the process of... Uh, putting together a joint project with Velikovsky, which would have brought Velikovsky's work to the mainstream. 
Unfortunately, Einstein died before that could happen. Uh, how do we know how serious he was about Velikovsky's work? Well, first of all, I mean, it's well documented that they were very, very close friends at Princeton, where they both had tenure. And on Einstein's desk, uh, upon his death, was an open copy of Worlds in Collision by Velikovsky. He was, he was making his notes, this is a real thing. So it's interesting. I don't, I have no problem with, I'm not having a go at Uspensky here because he's making an interpretation of this, this symbol that, that was seen. Uh, and who knows? Uh, I mean, if Velikovsky isn't right, this could be exactly the experience that, that we get. Certainly, circular spiral uh, uh, events are a common experience of altered states of, sh of consciousness, specifically if we're, uh, involved in shamanic journeying, um, but there there is another potential interpretation of of what's been seen here, and it could be um, race memory. It could be you know, human race memory of a of a catastrophic and traumatic racial event that happened to this planet. So I would suggest that people, as a sidebar, um, investigate Velikovsky and and the Saturn myth by Brian Talbot. Uh, as as well they they might find something very interesting and if that leads them on to an investigation of the of project thunderbolt so much the better oh, very interesting stuff yeah yeah this this really really is you know incredible and it's it's interesting that von Mannen had this um altered state experience where that vision came to him because there, there could be like i say spensky notes that he even sort of says well you know i'll leave leave the interpretation to those who have experienced it. Mm. So I think even Aspensky is looking at that and saying, I, I, I can't stick a mathematical um, link to this, but no. it's an experiential thing. Perhaps perhaps this is where Aspensky is also throwing in another um, hook. Yeah, well, it, it can be, you know. I mean, he's talking about the description um, you know, von, von Mannen describes it in his book. What's the book called? Some Occult Experiences. And yes. Yeah, so there's no doubt what that's about. Yeah. <laughs> Even the name is hinting at I'm moving out of mathematics into the occult. Mm. Like I'm, I'm, this is a very transitional chapter. That's what I thought. Yeah, no, I, I really do. Yeah. I mean, even though, even though with that symbol, you know, we're talking about globes and cubes. You know, if you read the if you read the section, you know it's how the globe can represent the, the cube. Uh, this this is um, something that's well known in, in certainly in occult circles dealing with higher forms. The so we're we're looking at things like the work that the Golden Dawn was doing, for example. But they're by far and away not the only ones. The alchemists would be doing this. Uh, would be working like this and the relationships between cubes and spheres and so on. Uh, and this, this little extract from uh, von Mannen's book uh, certainly describes that. I think it would be foolhardy for us to read that entire section out here in this podcast and, and so on. I mean, von Mannen does uh, mention, and it's also in the, in the quotes that, um, Uspensky has chosen to put into his book here. It's, it's right here. It says, I have in a like manner had rare visions of the fifth and sixth dimensional figures, which is great because when we focus on the fourth dimension, we can lose sight of the fact that why does it end there? 
to me, this is far more in, interesting than trying to um, get a mass of people, like i.e. the majority of the population, the human population of the world, to, to accept a mathematical basis for the fourth dimension and so on. How is that going to how is that going to affect their lives? Not not one jot. Uh, whereas this could. This uh, these yeah. explorations uh, into experiencing other realms that might because Spinti kind of disses him there as well and says, "Oh, I just don't think it was. I think he was getting stretching it a bit with the fourth and the fifth and sixth stuff. I think it's probably just another variation of the fourth. So, it, and Spinti has mentioned other dimensions, higher dimensions, yeah, I know previously, but he seems very wed to the fourth. He seems very wed in this book." Yeah. to it being about the fourth. He has mentioned the fifth and the sixth when he's talking about race and genus and whatever. He's kind of touched on it earlier. The elephant in the room behind this book, up to the point where we have arrived, is relativity, general and special relativity. That's that's what gives Spensky, um, I don't know, the courage to start talking in the way that this book mm-hmm. talks. He's still yeah. a mathematician here. And he still wants to be viewed professionally as, mm. I think, my opinion is, he still yeah. wants to be seen in the circles of mathematics as uh, somebody who's got, you know, street cred. Yeah, I, I find it, yeah, I find it, yeah, and yet I find it interesting. Now he's mentioned Van, Ma- Van Manen, and, and rather like Umoff earlier in the chapter, um, I'll mention him, but it only goes so far. Because von von Manen's had uh, experiences that I haven't had, so I'm going to diss that. I'm going to disrespect it and throw it under the under the bus. Um, I'm I'm going to say, well, you can't can't be sure about anything like that because he's talking about something that's not what I'm talking about. Because I'm talking about the fourth dimension, which relativity takes us into. I am a real mathematician, guys. Yeah, it's a shame, isn't it? Because he does have he does have some good stuff to say. But if he's if he's nailed himself to this concept of having to hang science and maths and everything into where he's heading, I think he's I think he's um, nobbling himself. Yeah, I do too. And you know, you know, we know we know that he goes much more into this stuff going forward. Yeah, I know. I do as well. At some point, he realizes he's got to get off the fence, and he's either he's got to take a stand. Yeah, yeah, but he hasn't taken that stand yet. No, no, he hasn't yet. He still tries to bolt every concept that he's coming up with and every idea to this shallow framework of mathematics. Shallow? Yeah, it is. It doesn't help anybody, does it? It's not helping us. He does, though, in this book. I think he does let it go. Yeah, I know. I I agree with you. I do think that he does, but he hasn't, but he hasn't yet. No, he's standing on the edge now of the big diving yeah. board and he's, he's, he's just not game enough to dive in. He's still going, I'm still a mathematician. Yeah, that's what I, that's exactly, I, that's what I think he's doing. I, that's exactly what I think he's doing. Oh, and, and, and here next, he, he just, he does bring dear old Hinton back in. <laughs> we love that, don't we? Only, only, only to tell us that Hinton made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Read it, read it out to us, Pete. I haven't got the, I haven't got that down. Yeah, well, he says like, well, you know, he's talking about von Manen's. You know, this we may also call the total impression of his image that of a ring. And he said this remark, though very cautious, seems to me dangerous because it creates the possibility of the same mistake which stopped Hinton in many things. 
and which I partly repeated in the first edition of the book. What do you mean partly? You know, the fourth, you know, in, in the first dimension of the book, the fourth dimension. He seems to have given us the entire book <laughs> so, so far. But anyway, this mistake consists in the possibility of the construction of some pseudo fourth dimension, which lies in reality completely in three dimensions. In my opinion, there is very much of motion in the figure. Well, it's a two-dimensional drawing, um, so if you're seeing motion in it, um, I think that says more about you, Aspensky, than it does about the figure. It might well be representing motion, but you don't know that. Just because you see it, you... So far, I th- I get a feeling that you see what you want to see. Well, he he has he has um, put his hand up to to yeah, I know. I cherry pick what I want, but I think too. I mean, it, this is a fourth dimensional figure trying to be represented on a two dimensional page. It's it you're not going to be able to do it. You he's only give you an artist's impression. I mean, give Van Menen a bit of a. Bit of a, I've got a, I've know. got a, a point to 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 bring up that would easily be skipped over, and I'm not going to skip over it because I think it's really important that we look at this. At the end of the the paragraph, when he's he's just like dist Hinton, he's saying things like, "I shall not analyze and comment upon Van Manen's experience now, leaving it to readers who've had similar experiences, which you've mentioned, right? Yep. What does he mean? Yeah, go. On. What does he mean? Similar experiences. What is he suggesting? I think he's suggesting experiences, uh, well, altered states of consciousness. That's what I think. I don't think he is. I think I, oh, that's what I'm saying. No, I think that that's why th- this is a, a, an interesting thing for him to have actually said. He's, he's suggesting that people may have had similar experiences. We're talking very specifically about the mathematical description of this drawing that Van Manen's had. Is he suggesting that this is a common experience? I can tell you right now that there are common experiences when you investigate altered states of consciousness. For example, if you were to do shamanic work and you were to do any of the work, and it doesn't matter which cultural background you come from, whichever shamanic path you're taking or investigating, the something very, very common around the globe is that you will enter via a tunnel, and the tunnel has rings. You you will see the rings quite often, very often. There are common experiences, and I think that when... Because the words are very carefully chosen, similar experiences. Let me tell you, uh, if you'd had an experience, an altered state of consciousness, where all you'd seen was psychedelic glowing colors, you will not have had a similar experience to Van Manen. That is, that is, that is not the description of a similar experience, but it will have been an altered state of consciousness. You saw that video. You told me that you yes. looked at that video of that lady, that housewife in California in the 1950s who's given LSD. It's an amazing video. It's on YouTube and you can see she wasn't having an experience that Von Manen was having, but she was in an altered state of consciousness by any definition of the term. Oh, I don't absolutely. think we, so when I'm, when he says here, People who've had similar experiences, he surely cannot be talking about, oh, you've just had an altered state of consciousness. Now, I'm a hypnotist. When I hypnotize somebody, when I put somebody in a trance, um, when, when I put them, when I suggest that they go into a trance, <laughs> when I lead them into a trance, we're in, we, we're in and out of trance all day long in our waking experience. But that's another story. But when I do that, you are in an altered state of consciousness. 
You're in a state of consciousness that was different than the one before we started working with the hypnotic trance. So, you know, an altered state of consciousness, I don't think is what he's suggesting here. I think that that little throwaway line is suggesting that actually what Van Manen has had, if you're lucky enough to experience it, is a common experience and there may be meaning for you if you investigate that internally. I'm, I'm absolutely certain that that's what he's saying. And if he isn't, then, then that's a very loose sentence to have put in, into a book that's, that's otherwise tight. I'm saying that he's, I'm, yeah, I'm saying, I think he's saying that that image, that, that experience that Van Manen tried to draw so that he would remember it is a common experience. So do you think that Aspensky may have experienced it himself? I think he was investigating the idea that that's where he wanted to go. Whether he'd done that or not by um, the time he wrote this book, I don't, I can't, I couldn't honestly say. Certainly he was a, amongst people later that would. But even when he wrote this book, as we've mentioned earlier, he was a devotee of um, Blavatsky's theosophy and may well have joined um, theosophical groups. He may have, he may, I mean, for all we know, he doesn't put it down here, but for all we know, he may be a, a member. He certainly would have um, been able to have connect, made connections with people who were high up. I mean, the Blavatsky was Russian, he's Russian. I mean, they, they were in the same area, in the same circles. He was interested. I think it's unlikely that he wouldn't have tried you know, to, to make contact with the, with these people because they were available to him and he is interested in it. It's a well-known documented fact that he was massively influenced by um, theosophy. So, yeah, it, it's quite possible yeah. that he had. And theosophy, by the way, is, it's, it's, it's hardly shamanic. It is, it, it's, let's call it a high form of, of occult research uh, and experience. It's, it, it's like um ceremonial magic. It is like the stuff that, you know that the, the the investigations that were being made by the great occultists of the late twenth late nineteenth century, which is what they were. So it, it's hand in glove with the work that was being done by occult societies like the Golden Dawn. I keep mentioning the Golden Dawn because it's by far the most famous one, but there were others uh, mm-hmm. in various places around the globe. This this um re-expression and this this explosion of western mystical traditions so the kabbalah comes well into this as well you know um the the investigation of the kabbalah and piecing all of these doctrines together and these these um methods of experience together so yeah i think i think Aspensky probably had had the experience i I, th- I mean i can't know but i think he probably had it's interesting because that little piece at the end has nothing to do with the beginning of the chapter. No, I know nothing. It's nothing it's, at it's, all. It's almost Absolutely like it's this, nothing. This, and now for something completely different. Well, it gets <laughs> it gets even more completely different in the final um, paragraph. Yes, so let's go to that. Well, I, I, only, no, only, again, only a throwaway. We will we will discuss it, but he does mention uh, Jacob Boma. Yes. You, do you know him? Is he a mate of yours? Well, you know, we were friends, but we've had a falling out. <laughs> so. Well, he's he, uh, he's an alchemist, um, one of the greats. I mean, that 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 name is is right up there, you know, by, with Valentin and so on and so on. Um, this this is this is one of the great um, alchemists um, that we know of, and yeah. 
and and he's and he's brought that uh, that in here. It's, you know, the similarity of the experience of certain mystics is very remarkable in them, especially those of Jacob Burma. So I'm saying that this is a common experience that he is talking about here, not just an altered state of consciousness, but within um, very specific and directed alterations of consciousness, then there will be common experiences for humanity. Mm-hmm. What that means for us, he doesn't say, and we will get onto that later on, but um, th- this is all very interesting. And it's interesting that, he, th- like, again, he throws them in as seeds. He doesn't explain anything. No, he's not. He's not getting up and, and and shouting it out so he could be shouted down. He's no. When you write a sentence like this, Alice, you know, the similarity of the experience of certain mystics is very remarkable in them, especially those of Jacob Boma. And then he doesn't say anything else about Jacob Boma. Mm, yeah. Is he making an assumption that his readers will know who this is? Well, I had to look him up on the internet. Uh, y- y- yeah, there you go. And there's my point. You could do that. Could the readers of this book, when it was published, but he links his name with mysticism. Yeah, I know, but I'm just I'm just saying that people would not know. He doesn't explain who Jacob is. You have to make assumptions, and then you have to go down to your local library and hope that there'll be a book that mentions him. Good luck with that in 1912 or 20 or whenever. Yeah, whatever. So, again, I think you're right. He's he's putting seeds in. He is, this chapter is, he's, he's given science their, their big hurrah and he's mm. moving into the occult mysticism. Yeah, I, I, I do think that he is. This is the, I think this is the point. You know, this, yeah. this is the point where he's, he, he's setting out a new intention for where he's going with, with the book. But he's not, but he doesn't do it, but he doesn't do it overtly, does he? He doesn't, no. he doesn't put a hand up in the air and wave and say, goodbye, mathematics. Now we're moving somewhere else. He he's just planting seeds about where where we're going to go, and mathematics, if it is given a goodbye, will be will be given a very gentle goodbye. Yes, it'll be whispered goodbye. Mm, you know, <laughs> so you know because obviously, um, in the next chapter, which we will be coming to, he he does uh, start describing psychic phenomena and physical phenomena, and and we're going to go down that that road. You know. And this is this is you know we're finally getting. I mean, I thought I thought up to this point for me has been interesting enough, but we're really getting into interesting stuff when he's when he drops this whole facade. Yeah, of I, I would have been more interested if he'd have been more concise about about that bit. But you know, it is what it is, and it's his, it's his yeah. book, and uh, he has dropped in the things now that that really start making us interested because we most people that. Um, now that, that would read that book, this book, you, me included, the stuff that he's been describing is based on a framework that is not accessible to us. We do not have the, the mathematical background and knowledge and understanding and skill mm-hmm. to actually or investigate it. Or interest, for that matter. To, to, yeah, or interest. If we'd had the interest, we would have had the, the skill because we'd have learned more about it. But the fact of it is that we haven't. So we cannot test what he's saying. All I can do is point out um, inconsistencies in his language and where he doesn't actually prove or demonstrate things. So, you know, to me, um, that could have been tied a, a, a little, a little shorter and a little more, made a little more interesting to us. Um, yeah. But 
you know, but it was what it was. And now, and now he comes over to something that all of us can, should we choose, try to experience. There are methods of experiencing everything that, that comes after or most of what yeah. comes after. And so now it becomes interesting from the point of view. Oh, I like the sound of that. How do I experience that? And then you can find out, you know, you 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 can start looking up you can get books on the occult especially now you can I mean, you don't have to go to the privately published things that you might have had to for a lot of the stuff in the 1920s but you certainly can everything is available to you you know you can read le Myst- mystère des cathédrales and, and by Fulcanelli who's master alchemist um of the early, in, in fact, of the 1920s, which is when that book was written, you can get all of the the works of the the Golden Dawn and Alistair Crowley. I mean, the Golden Dawn stuff is edited by Israel Regardi and his works as well. S- even simplify the works of the Golden Dawn. It, it's it's amazing stuff. You can get um, works on the Kabbalah. The probably the most um, accessible is Dion Fortune's. Um, the mystical Kabbalah, and she was um, a member of the Golden Dawn at the same time as Alistair Crowley worked with Crowley. Um, you've got all of Alistair's works, which are fantastic if you want to investigate it in 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 an almost scientific way. But then you've got the shamanic stuff, the the stuff that you can have direct experiences with shamanic journeying. Um, I mean, I do. Um, you do those. Yeah, I do. I do that. It's it's part of the therapy. I mean, as a, as a therapist, as a hypnotherapist, um, and the, the shamanic journeying that I do, which is amazingly built built on technology. I do drums. I I use drumming, and drumming will take you in as fast as you like. But um, using technology now, and using creating soundscapes with percussion and synthesizers and so on, and disrupting the conscious mind is even stronger, deeper, and faster. But you can have those experiences without necessarily having to delve into the framework. Why? Because you can have the experience and your, when you connect with this inner self, higher self, soul, spirit, whatever you want to call that unconscious mind that's connected to the great unconscious that you, that we all have, the, the way that you do this, it will tell you. If you set an intention to, to learn, and sometimes you have the experience and then this reveals itself over a series of days. It's interesting now that we're coming to these, these investigations of consciousness because I do know what comes next in, in the book. Um, and it's, it becomes more and more experiential. And I, I like the fact that that, that, and this is something that everybody that reads this book can then choose to either try or not try. It's up to them, but they, they can have the experiences. To, to whatever degree which is fantastic I, I yeah i mean this book it's almost like we've we've done the theory now we're doing the practical well we hope so we hope so you know this this you know we we are we are starting to to move into things things that we can experience yeah so um so next week we've got chapter 12 i'm really looking forward to to talking about that one with you because we are moving into this new phase but thanks, Pete, very much for, for talking today on Chapter 11. It was wonderful. I enjoyed every minute of it. Thank you, Alice. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Pete. And thanks, everyone else, time. for listening. See you next time. Bye now. Bye.